Father, it is our privilege and our intention and our desire to love you. We acknowledge together this morning that sometimes it's a mystery how. But we also, Lord, we are people who have been literally touched by you. And there are times when we see it clearly and the love of you is our joy. So this morning we come weary and heavy laden and stressed, disappointed, hurting, ashamed, or lighthearted and full of joy and thankful. But in all of that, Lord, we come to you and worship. And uh, we declare together, as with one voice, that we love you. And this morning, uh, uh, that's our intention, to love you well. We know that in that, there's life and freedom, there's joy and there's forgiveness. So, God, please this morning receive all that we know of ourselves as we give it to all that we know of you. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Boys and girls, those of you who are in here this morning, we're really glad to have you as well. About once a month, we have our first through fifth graders in the service with us. And, boys and girls, I'm going to make three points this morning, actually, Jesus is going to make three points, and I'm going to highlight them. So if you're keeping score, so you'll know where we are, we're going to be making three points. Now, I want you to know I put this message today for last week, so you weren't going to be in here. But uh, if you'll just remember those three points, and after church today, at lunch, turn to your mom and dad and say, so what was Jesus' first point? You can test them. We're going to be talking today about loving God and how to do that. We're going to be looking at a a really incredible, warm, intimate teaching from Jesus where he literally offers us up three outstanding points. And I want you to overlay the top of these three points. I think, in effect, it gives us almost a roadmap, a, a clear path for how to love God. Let's all confess that Loving God can sometimes seem very difficult. Jesus seems to say the opposite. But loving God can seem difficult because it's a relationship unlike any other relationship we have. We can't call him up. We don't see him when he comes over to help us shovel snow. So how do we love God? And today's passage will give us a little bit of a road map for that. Three points, how to love God. And let's go old school, sorry, Spiritual aerobics, let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'm going to be looking at Matthew chapter 11. And Matthew is the first biography of Jesus. So I would love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't have one on your phone, it will be on the screen. Matthew 11, and I'm looking at verses 25 through 30. So I want you to hear not only God's Word, but I believe God's Word for us today. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them 
to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your pleasure to do it this way. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yoke, most of you may know, is the ancient world, old world way of hooking oxen up together. It would be the thing that went around the neck. It would make them guideable. And oftentimes, yokes would be double. So two oxen hooked together with two yokes. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You may be seated. So we're at the end of a quick series of messages we've called Connecting to Key Relationships. In week one, we talked about rightly connecting to Christian community. And really that week, we focused on why it's so important to connect to Christian community. We said one of the keys to our spiritual growth is connecting to Christian community. There's power in Christian community, we said, so it's incredibly important to connect to other people who are on this same journey that we're on. And thirdly, we said we were designed for it. We were made, we were built to connect to other people who are walking the same journey we are. And we're always going to be missing a beat internally if we don't have that connection. Then the second week, Alex talked about rightly connecting to those who are far from God. And really, Alex focused on how we do it. He said it involves four things. He talked about seeking. He talked about serving. He talked about sharing. And then he talked about storying. Today, we want to focus on the most important key relationship. Today, we're talking about loving God, and we're going to look at how to love God. How do we love God? Because it can be, as we've said, a difficult process. Again, I think in this passage, Jesus offers three profound points, which, when applied to loving God, offer a very helpful roadmap. So point number one, in paragraph number one, Jesus makes a statement about our attitude, doesn't he? Jesus says essentially this, if we summarize it, God reveals himself to those who are like little children. He says in verse 25 and 26, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Notice that we are the objects of this action. God is the subject. We aren't in control of our connection to God. God is. Look, we're never in complete control in a relationship. Relationships are a two-way street. It's a collaboration of sorts. But it's nearly a universal principle that the more powerful a person is, the more in control they are of the relationship. Like, for instance, if one of us were to develop a relationship with President Obama, certainly President Obama would dictate most of the terms of the relationship just because of sheer importance and intensity of his schedule. Well, God as the ultimate power, Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus says, is in very nearly complete control of the relationship. We get to know God and we come into a loving relationship with him as he reveals himself to us. If we're to love God, it will be because he has revealed himself to us. 
And many of you, I know your stories, many of you have had that experience. You've had God touch you. You've had an aha. You've felt something. You've sensed something as a teenager or maybe as a child. Or for some of you, it was much later in life. So what are we to do? If we are to love God, it will be because he's revealed himself to us. So what is our part? Since God is the primary actor, what is it for us? How do we love God? Simply put, first of all, we are to be like little children. Our attitude should be like that of a little child. I did an internet search this week on kids say the darndest things, and I came up with a couple of those kid stories. I've got one here for you. I was sharing those with Diane last night, and many of you know for the past couple of years, Diane has been working in public schools, so Diane has been taking down kids say the darndest things stories, and she shared a couple of hers with me, so hers were better than the ones on the internet. little kid named Trinity, I'm remembering the first time I started loving you. Mom, oh, that's so sweet. When was that, Trinity? I think it was last night. There was another one where John and Evan are in a classroom. John, I need air. Evan, was that you? Evan, I just burped. John, I don't think you burped, Evan. (laughs) Paul reading says, am I almost done? Diane says, it's a long book. Paul Paul says, I'll take that as a no. Children are characterized by what? Humility? Openness? Often, not always, but often, completely without guile because they don't know better. Children aren't experts. Decidedly so. Children are dependent. Oz Guinness, theologian, said this. It's not true. It's not true to say that God wants to teach us something in our trials. Through every cloud, he brings our way. He wants us to unlearn something. His purpose in using the cloud is to simplify our beliefs until our relationship with him is exactly like that of a child, a relationship between God and our own souls and where people are but shadows. Is our relationship to God becoming more simple than it has ever been? That's the purpose. That's the direction. Those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago before we got hit with 19 feet of snow will remember that we dedicated a baby, Grant Hansen, and the Hansen's entire family was here and was spread out all the way across the front of the church. Grant and Allison and Jonathan were standing over here. Aaron and I were right beside them, and we were doing the dedication service, and at one point, I take Grant in my arms, and I bring Grant up the aisle this way, then I walk him over here, and I bring Grant up the aisle this way, and I noticed Grant, as he was in my arms, and I could feel kind of his legs around my body, at several points, especially as we moved further away, there was kind of a desperate look back over his shoulder, as if to say, I don't know who this big, tall, goofy guy is with me, And how do I get back to those two people right down there? Because that's who I know. And those are the people that I trust. And then as I moved back down this aisle, Grant began to relax again. And then I moved away from him again, and his legs tightened around me. Uh Uh-oh. Of course, it's certainly true that as we grow older, we grow in independence. This is an important part of becoming an adult. 
The difficulty is to learn how to grow in maturity and independence in certain areas while maintaining a healthy dependence in our emotional life and in the parts of our heart. You see, what he's calling for, what Jesus is telling us is that to love God, you have to be like Grant. And every time circumstances seem to take you away from the center, your attention is riveted not on the circumstances, but on the source, on the one you can trust, on the Father. Our part in loving God is to keep our hearts like hearts of little children. If we want to love God, we will come to him with humble, dependent hearts like children. Okay, so there are some things that cause friction to that. There are some things that make it difficult to keep our heart like the heart of a little child. There are some things that slow that process down. Let me just mention three. You may think of some others. One, hurt. When we get hurt, we want to protect ourselves, and we often do so with distance and cynicism. And hurt often makes our hearts look more adult-like and usually less able to love God. Or pride. We want to be an expert. We want to be known. We want to be important. We want to say the amazing thing. But we know from human experience that our best and our closest relationships are not based on our expertise or our importance. And often pride can make our hearts look more adult-like, but usually less able to love God. Or a third thing that might inhibit us is envy, jealousy, judgmentalism. Let's throw those together. Suppose I had been dedicating another child last Sunday. So here's Grant and all the Hansons, and then there's another child over here. And I walk Grant down the aisle, and I walk Grant down that aisle, hand him back to the Hansons. Then I take other baby in arms and often will dedicate two or three. And I walk with other baby down aisle. There is zero chance that Grant would have been looking at that other baby and looking at you going, they're smiling more at him than they did at me. And look at that outfit. He's looking fly today. Sometimes envy or jealousy, sometimes judgmentalism can make our heart look from the outside more adult-like, but usually it cripples our ability to love God. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, hidden these things from the wise and learned. You've been actively working against those who have come to you with hurt and pride and very adult-like, but you've revealed them to little children. He ends with this, yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. It pleases God to reveal himself to us when we hold our hearts open like little children, when we bring humble, dependent hearts. So I want us, Gateway, I want us to think about doing this on Sunday mornings, even right now. I want us to think about approaching him like little kids, unashamed, unembarrassed, open, humble We're not concerned about the people to our left or our right. We're concerned about our Father. And we're constantly focused and staring at Him. There He is. There's the one that can barely see Him through my to-do list and all of my worries. I can barely see Him through the disappointment, but there He is. There's the one that takes care of me, takes care of my needs. And go for it with Him. That's what we gather each week to do, to remind one another and to go for it with him. I want us to do this in our own times of devotion. By the way, this is why we have a devotional life. 
We're admitting and acting out our dependence on him. Life starts to pull us away from God, and we, like Grant, every day are looking back to him. Sometimes, when we do this in our devotional life, sometimes this means questioning things. I had one of those, God, I don't get this at all, times this week. I was reading a story in Genesis, and I thought, holy smokes, what does this mean? What? And sometimes our devotional connection with God includes those times. If we come like little children, we don't have easy answers for everything because life is weird. And the Bible includes some weird things. I'm not saying that, God, I don't get this. I don't get you. Are you there? I'm not saying that those are good things. I'm not saying that those are good times, but sometimes they're unavoidable. And if we come to him like little children, it will include that. I want you to do this as you connect with other brothers and sisters, as you connect with other people who are on the same journey you're on, as you connect the Christian community. I want us to do this. I want us to come like little children. I had someone text me this week a serious disappointment in their own life. They said, I blew it. And what happens out of that is they open themselves up like a little kid. And it enhances their connection to God. It enhances our connection to one another. It takes a lot of courage. It takes the willingness to be unashamed to come to one another and say, oh man, I stink and blew it. Here's how. And to have the other person go, good grief, you did blow it. Wow. That would be embarrassing, only I think I'm just as bad as you are. Here's how I blew it. We come to one another like little kids. Jesus makes a second profound point, and this point is addressed to our belief system. Not really our heads, it's more than our heads. This point is addressed specifically to our belief system. And it offers us what's almost a prerequisite to loving God well. So... In this paragraph, in effect, Jesus says that God reveals himself to those whom the Son chooses. Again, Jesus makes it clear that God reveals himself to those whom the Son chooses. Listen to verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Listen, I want you to understand something straight up. This is not Oprah Winfrey Year of the Spirit spirituality, in which we're all getting in touch with the God inside of us. This is not all roads lead to heaven spirituality. This is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus at his most exclusive, at his most politically incorrect. Here, Jesus tells us that the Father has turned over everything to him so that those who discover a real connection to God are going to be those whom he, Jesus, chooses to reveal it. Those who discover a real connection with God are going to be those with whom, to whom he, Jesus, reveals it. Now, wait a minute, Ed. Does this mean that all those other people, well-meaning spiritual people, that they're not going to connect to God? Not really? Are they kidding themselves, Ed? That sounds arrogant and exclusive. What about that? 
Okay, I want you to know, honestly, I don't know. I'm certain that disappoints almost every one of you. I'm certain there are those of you who want me to go, no, it can't mean that. And there are others of you who want me to go, yes, it means that. But I've long since given up thinking I know what God will and will not do. But I know this. I know that we don't understand God unless he reveals himself to us. And I know the key to God's revelation of himself is the Son, the human being, Jesus Christ. I know this. This is not, listen, this is not cultural exclusivity. Diane and I watched a charming little movie last night about an Indian man who his parents are hounding, he's 29, and his parents are hounding him to get married. So he takes this really (laughs) incredible journey a year-long journey through trying to find an arranged marriage. All the while, he has left behind an American, a white woman, that he actually was in love with. And it's just a fascinating look at that culture, and it would be a culture that some of you are familiar with. At one point, they they interview a variety of people through it and their experiences. They interview this couple where... The woman is from an Indian Hindu background, and the man that she married is from a Catholic background. And it was hilarious listening to them talk about one another's faith. At one point, the Indian woman looks at her husband and says something like, yeah, well, you know, I know Jesus is a guru. And the guy goes, Jesus is not a guru. Of course, Jesus is not a guru. He's the son of God. What Jesus is addressing here has impacted... Every culture across the centuries, as it has swept around the globe, we're not talking about cultural exclusivity here, but we are talking about theological exclusivity. And there's no way around it. How can Jesus say such a thing? How? Because it just sounds so, what, narrow? He explains that. He gives us a glimpse at how, in an incredible exchange with his disciples, Later in his life, in fact, late in his life, very near his death, Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. And he tells them, don't worry, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to a different place. You can't follow me. But I'm going to prepare something for you in the place where I'm going. And they essentially say, what, what, how? And Thomas, and we love Thomas, Thomas is called Doubting Thomas. Thomas says, Lord, We don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And then Jesus says this, listen. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then listen to his follow-up. Look, if you really knew me, you would know my Father. From now on, you do know him because you've seen him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, in effect, tells us that he is God, squeezed into human skin, brought here, sent here, coming here to reveal God to us. God reveals himself to those whom the Son chooses. So, for our part, if we want to love God, if this is true, if we want to love God, we will trust in the Son. We will believe his words and his story, and we will grow in our understanding of how his story interacts with our story. 
I did a Gateway to Gateway yesterday, which is our introduction to Gateway. It's an explanation of who we are and where we're headed, and we sort of uh, tell our story. And often in Gateway to Gateway, I get an opportunity to share a story from years ago. At just a certain point in Gateway to Gateway, I end up talking about spiritual life and even what it means to be a Christian. And, and I, I will often tell this story years ago, uh, before Diane and I moved to Northern Virginia, we were living in the Boston area, and we had good friends who had become Christians in our church in Boston. And one of them was a woman who was from a very Buddhist family in Thailand. In fact, when her mother died, her father became a Buddhist monk. And she became a Christian uh, living in America as part of our church in Boston. It's a a great couple and had become friends with Diane and I. We were going to watch a movie together one night. So I called them up and I said, hey, what movie should we watch? And her name was Rudy. And Rudy said... Well, there's a new movie out called Little Buddha. Now, you've probably never heard of it, but it was starring a young, upcoming Hollywood hunk named Keanu Reeves, and he played the Buddha. And this was a biopic about the early life of Buddha. It was an interesting movie. And so Rudy says, it's a movie about Buddha, and it will be interesting conversation for us. So go rent it. I said, okay. So I head off to Blockbuster. You remember those? This was in 1890. So I go to Blockbuster, and I'm going to rent one of those, you know, VHSs that you used to put in your VCR with the cable connected to your television that was about nine feet wide. You remember those days. And Lee and Rudy were going to come over, and we were going to watch Little Buddha. So I go to Blockbuster. I'm minding my own business, and I walk around the new release aisle. You remember that? I went wrapped all the way around the store and can't find Little Buddha. So I go to the guy behind the counter. And he was an early portend of your generation, those of you who are, say, under 35. Orange hair, multi-pierced, all into spirituality. So I go to the counter and I say, hey, do you have the movie Little Buddha? Clicks on his computer, which is, you know, this big and this wide. And it takes nine hours for the thing to come up. Yes. It's over there on that aisle. So I go marching over, find little Buddha. I carry my tape, put it on the counter, and he you know, looks in, types it in, and he uh, wants to wax poetic. I can tell it. He says, cool movie, man. And I said, really? Why? And he said, oh, oh it's, a, it's about spirituality. Well, now there are a couple of people in line behind me, but I can tell they're also interested. So I continue the conversation. Huh, tell me what you mean, spirituality. And I just begin to ask him questions. And he reveals that spirituality is like a cafeteria line. There's an array of wonderful food and meats and vegetables. And you go through the cafeteria line and you pick out what works for you. You have to pick out a nourishing meal. And you have to be sincere and all in. But you go through the cafeteria line, and we're all like people going through the cafeteria line, and now he's as elevated as he can be. And I said, oh, okay. So the key is that you're sincere. And he said, yes, it's about the heart and being in. And I said, oh, okay. So Hitler, was he sincere? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, Stalin. 
he killed six million people, but was he sincere? And he said, oh, well, well, it's got to be good for humanity. I mean, what you believe has also got to be good for humanity. And I said, oh, okay, who gets to decide? Because Hitler might have thought that it was good for humanity. Well, no, man, it, it, now he's stammering. So I say, I'm sorry, the line behind me, let me interrupt you. Let me just tell you, I'm a Christian. And, you know, my point would be simple. I might be completely wrong. I mean, way wrong. But I want you to know this. In fact, I might be so wrong, God might not even exist. There may be no such thing as God at all, but here's the critically important point for you and I. If God is real, if there really is a God, then he is what he is. We don't get to make up what he is. Not everything is right. If God is real, then he's God. He's this. And he's not everything. And you can be sincerely right about God and you can be sincerely wrong. And when you make a statement like, I apologize, but when you make a statement like, it's got to be good for humanity, I've got to be honest with you, you're on my territory. Now you're talking about absolutes. And when you start talking about absolutes, you and I have to recognize you might be right and I might be wrong or the reverse could be true. Thank you very much. And I left with little Buddha. What... (laughs) Look, what we have to be clear about is the option of being Jesus admirers is not open to us. Don't leave today. I don't know where you are spiritually, but do not leave today as an admirer of Jesus, a distant admirer. Wow, that was a great teacher. That option is not available to you. He was either the son of God or he was a lunatic. He was an exclusive, arrogant lunatic. Jesus is not looking for admirers. He's looking for followers. Okay, that brings us to point number three. If you miss everything else, don't miss this and we'll be quick. Point number three, he makes a critically important point about our behavior, about what we actually do to love God. And here's what he says in essence. We can experience the rest of of a loving relationship with God. And by rest, I mean peace. I don't mean like the rest of the story, but I mean the peace and the the comfort. We can experience the rest of a loving relationship with God if we study the life and practices of Jesus. Now, first of all, we have to highlight that our relationship with God, according to Jesus, is intended to produce freedom and rest. We are unburdened by loving God. And here, Jesus gives us the key to achieve that. And let's be clear, little parentheses and aside, I know that some of us feel burdened by our relationship to God, by trying to love God, and that may be because you're doing religion and not Jesus. So Jesus gives us the key to how to achieve this unburdened rest. Do not miss this. Verses 28 through 30. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Look, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Simply put, 
Here it is in summary. Simply put, we love God by doing what Jesus did. Okay, one of my favorite gurus is Dallas Willard. And I want to read you a section from the introduction to Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Dallas Willard says this, check this. He says, here, meaning in this book, as he lays out this argument, here I want to deal with methods for the spiritual life, for the life present in the Christian gospel, in this message. He says, we can become like Christ in character and in power and thus realize our highest ideals of well-being and well-doing. We can become like Christ in character and in power and thus become exactly the people that we want to be and experience the life that we, we know we were designed for. We can do this. He goes on. This is the heart of the New Testament message. Do you believe this is possible, Willard asks. He goes on. My central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship. What activities did Jesus practice, he asked? Such things as solitude and silence, prayer, simple and sacrificial living, intense study and meditation upon God's word and God's ways, and service to others. He goes on. He's not advocating this at the point of attack. This isn't the, what would Jesus do, wristband. This is not at the point of attack. Here's what I mean. He offers this excellent analogy of, kid grows up, awesome baseball player, you know, he watches baseball, and he, he wants to turn a double play like Derek Jeter, and he wants to jack a, a major league curveball like Ken Griffey Jr. And the point he makes is, a kid cannot, at any point in his life, he cannot step into the batter's box and face a major league curveball until he's seen 150,000 curveballs from lesser and then an increasing intensity pitchers then maybe, just maybe, he can step into the batter's box and hit a major league curveball. He cannot turn a double play like Derek Jeter until 100,000 times he's practiced fielding a ground ball and delivering it to second or third or first or wherever he needs to throw it to deliver the double play. He has to practice over and over and over again. And then maybe when the ball is hit into the gap, he can field it and throw it to second and have the second baseman turn and throw it to first and successfully deliver a double play. Willard continues. He says this, The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the actions we know to be right and the conditions we want to enjoy. Willard concludes, the secret of the easy yoke is simple, actually. It is the intelligent, informed, unyielding resolve to live 
as Jesus lived in all aspects of his life, not just in the moment of specific choice or action. We can experience the rest of a loving relationship with God if we study the life and practices of Jesus. So we must follow Jesus, his habits, his life, his ways, if we want to love God. And if we follow Jesus, we will effectively love God and live into the rest that he has designed for us. I wanted to end with a story. And there are just so many outstanding examples of this. Diane and I were talking last night, and she brought up the example of Elizabeth Elliot. And some of you know this story, but Elizabeth Elliot and her husband, Jim, went to be missionaries in the late 1950s to the Alka Indians who lived in the Amazon jungle of, I think, Brazil or Ecuador. I can't remember. And Jim Elliott, her husband, was the one, if you've ever heard this quote in his journals, Jim Elliott was the one who says, check this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What? How does somebody even say? So Jim Elliott goes to the Amazon jungle to minister to the Alka Indians. They drop leaflets and presents and Bibles, or parts of the Bible, which they had translated onto the Alka Indians. And then finally the time arrives that they think the Indians are primed and they fly in, land on the Amazon, and Jim and a couple of his cohorts get out of the plane to begin the long process. They know the long, arduous process of sharing with them the the love of God and revealing to them the story of the Son. And almost instantly they're killed. Murdered. This is 1956. Over the next two years, Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, continued to minister to the Alka Indians. And in 1958, she moved in among them, into a little hut with her three-year-old daughter and led that village to a mind-bending, life-transforming knowledge of the Son who showed them the love of the Father. This was so profound that the, the man who killed Jim Elliot became a follower of Christ and would later in his life fly to America and do tours, speaking tours, with Elizabeth Elliot, talking about the power, the life-transforming power of having God revealed to you by the Son. How did Elizabeth Elliot, how did she make that choice? How does somebody get to the point where they experience that kind of tragedy And they respond with resilience and faith and power so that their life grows larger and it isn't diminished. Well, that happened because Elizabeth Elliot had spent years in her closet on her knees practicing what Jesus practiced, doing the stuff that Jesus did. It's really hard, but it's not complicated. And once you and I begin to do it, (laughs) it gets really easy. He promised it. Okay, let's pray. While we pray, 
head bowed, eyes closed, just so we can do some business here for a second. I want you to take a moment and just think about, let's just let him work with us. And think about which of these areas he most needs to adjust in your life. He needs to shave off. He needs to add to, supplement. He needs to amplify. He needs to diminish. Is your heart hardened? Are you terribly unchildlike? And you know this morning, you sensed this morning that that makes it difficult for you to love him. Because of hurt, what, for some of us, laziness, pride, judgmentalism, envy, jealousy. Your heart has closed down. You look like an adult, but dysfunctional, and you can't love God because there's, you've lost the childlikeness, the wonder. Or for you, is it belief structure? You just cannot get your mind and heart and your will around the incredible claims of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And I understand it. I get that. I would suggest that we bring that to Him this morning and let Him do a work in us. Or is it for you that your life does not match the life of Jesus? And you feel that this morning. And you have sensed that this morning. I'm not asking you to work harder I'm asking you this morning to just be open to him and whatever it is that he would say in this moment. Okay, if you've had your eyes closed, I want you to open your eyes for a sec. Let's remain seated for a second. This is just the first verse. I want you to listen to Jerry and Jordan sing this as Jesus' invitation to us. And then after the first verse, let's stand and sing the rest together. And especially, we're going to sing that chorus as a declaration of faith. I will arise and go to Jesus. He'll embrace me in his arms. So let's focus this morning. This is nothing but this old hymn Reflecting the voice of God singing over us.
that there's nothing that we could do to earn your favor, your goodness, that which you offer to us freely. Not dependent on us or anything that we could do, but fully dependent on you. God, I just pray today that we would feel that, that we would know that, that if we claim to know you, that we would walk in that, that freedom that comes with that. And Lord, I just pray as we take our offering today, Lord, that you would use it to help us to bring others into that. That we would be like Elizabeth and John Elliot, that we would be showing people that son and the love of the father that was shown through the son and we would walk in the son and all of those different things. Lord, please use this to build your kingdom here. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. <laughs> 